Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 28th of 2019. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHeads.com. This week on the podcast, we have the Stanley Cup final set. Not the real one, the one that you have voted on. Uh, <laughs> it should be a very entertaining final. Good good job. And I think, um, I think it's one you could look at at the beginning of this exercise and see happening so not not too shabby um we will talk penguins because the gm keeps talking so i guess we'll have some comments about that we have new real playoff series we have the second round last time we were talking to during capitals and hurricanes and the capitals were up two goals that did not last that was a that was a hell of a game I uh, it was. That actually was good stayed fun. up to, to watch the end of that one. Uh, have some thoughts on that and some of the new series. And uh, that's um, that's about what we'll talk about. So we'll lead off. Um, we had Tampa Bay versus Calgary. The listeners voted 83% Tampa Bay. So, Jesus Christ. Tampa were the out-and-out favorites for everybody this year, weren't they? Yep. Too bad about that real-life thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we had Boston going up against Vegas. And the listeners voted 60% in favor of the Vegas Golden Knights. So, as far as I'm concerned, that is a very exciting and interesting Stanley Cup final. Yeah, and I say that because I've watched a few more of these Boston games, and they are terrible to watch right now. And, and so if you wanted to see something fun, those two teams, Vegas and Tampa, definitely... The two teams that I think, through what we've gone through, is a good end to the season. It would be great fun. And congratulations to Mark Andre Fleury, who must be playing well in all of these series. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so that's two years in a row. Pretty good. Yeah. What Personal we, best. What we what we say about playing these games? Yeah. So that's what everybody hinges the decisions on when you get to this end, isn't it? Which goal is going to outplay the other goalie? That's how it feels. And I'm surprised that so many people said, yeah, Fleury will play well in each series, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think um, the strength of the, four, the two top lines that Vegas boasts um, is what got him through. And I think people were just hoping or when they voted, it was one of those scenarios where, well, as long as it's not 2013 flurry, they, they'll do fine. Yeah, which, you know, if you're a team as good as Vegas, and literally the same with Tampa, league average goaltending should get you through because the rest of the roster is so awesome. Um, and it does show you what happens when that all falls apart. But this would be a really fun cup final to watch two aggressive teams, two teams that can skate, uh, two goalies that can make spectacular saves when required to. Um, and I would suggest that Vasilevsky would let less leakers in than what Fleury would, and that would probably be the difference of the series. And one player out of the two teams would have a, a dynamite six or seven games and they'd be the Conn Smythe winner. I'd pick Mark Stone, but that's pretty much how... It sort of feels like it would roll out for me. So you are taking Vegas? No, I I think 
<clears throat> I would suggest that Tampa would win it, and it would be one of those weird ones where, because I think Mark Stone, if he'd gone all the way through, would have just blitzed it. He already was. Um, I reckon he'd, he'd be. It's unheard of happening unless it's a goalie. Um, but I think he'd be oh, streaks ahead of everybody the, else. Oh, you would give the and a losing cause. Which is unheard of. Like, how often does that happen? It's rare as, rare as hen's teeth. So I'm asking a lot of the media to do that, but that's <laughs> Hex, probably how Hextall, I would... Hextall, Shiger, both goalies, as you alluded to. <clears throat> yeah. So that, that's sort of the way I, I would have looked at it. Um, Tampa have just been so awesome all year. And yes, we know what's happened, but it's really hard to go past what they achieved and, and how good they actually are. Or were, I should say. So, I to add to that, I I think um, I actually don't have much to add to that. I think it's it, <laughs> it's the right take. I've been pretty bullish on what my feelings about Tampa uh, have been. I still think they're a great team, even though they, you know, <laughs> clunked out of the real first round. But in in this hypothetical, it, it's really tough to go against them. They were that much better than the the rest of the teams uh, over the course of the year, so I, I think their forwards are a little bit deeper in talent. They might not boast uh, two top lines as strong as maybe Vegas, although that might not be fair to say when you got uh, Kucherov playing with point, and then was Stamkos on that line or was he dropped? To be honest, it became such a mishmash towards the end. I'm not sure. They were just rolling whatever they could out to try and get something to happen. Well, regardless, I think Tampa's one of the few teams that can come as, as strong on the top end. And I think their depth's a little better, and I think um, uh, their defensemen are better, I think, with Hedman and McDonough, for sure. I think their top four is better than Vegas's top four. And I think and... they have the advantage in goal, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing with the, that roster through the entire year. Every team they played against... Very rarely, as a collective five-on-five unit, did they not have the best unit out there. Yeah. And that's just, that's tough to compete against. You know, it felt very much like pre-salary cap Detroit. Right. So, yeah, and that's what makes the season they had this year ridiculously amazing. And it's a shame that it's going to have that massive asterisk that they didn't get out of the first round. (laughs) They didn't even get a win. Even, yeah, well... That's true, actually. And that's the other thing that, that, that I find so unbelievably surprising is they didn't even get a win. That's just mind-blowing to me, that that roster collapsed so poorly after that first period of the first game and Columbus showed some backbone and destroyed them. So we will have that vote up. You will choose the top seeds. Pick opponents, Stanley Cup champion in 2019 hockey hurts podcast so uh look for that as uh you see this podcast is posted um i guess with that we can transition to um the second round of the real playoffs and i think for the first time in history the four division winners lost so it's been a a a year where predictions i i'm assuming i i know mine are crappy but i think i'm not the only one uh, with the predictions being uh, not as successful this year. Um, really, um, really interesting first round. Um, it's Does it say anything in the fact that the teams that are 
chugging along trying to make the playoffs play at a higher intensity than the teams that weren't trying to make the playoffs at the end of do you know what I mean like is there anything to that like it would be fascinating to to see a study in regards to whether that's the case because the league is theoretically closer than it has been like the parity in the league is theoretically better than it has been there's less <clears throat> there's less bottom feeder teams but how much of that is the point system and how much is it playing a lot more games against your divisional rivals than it is against playing the rest of the league so I just I just I don't know and <clears throat> it's tough you go through that 82 game season and you're out like that's got to suck balls yeah yeah that's that is tough tough to um go from zero to a hundred because uh in tampa's case you got the blue jackets who were clawing for every point like they they really didn't have any business clawing in the way they did they should have been able to to get clear but they didn't in tampa sitting there with a hundred million points <laughs> and it's tough because they know the games don't really matter they're still playing hardish you know they're not it's not like they're mailing games in but there is that intensity of and there's a little bit of hey things have gone great for us all year there's been no consequences they got a little adversity after game one and did not rebound no no and that's that's the entire human element of sport and and that's that's the thing that you're never going to get down on a spreadsheet. It's one of those things that um, the computer boys don't discount. They've never once tried to discount it. It does show you that the games have to be played for a reason um, and that these players are human. That's the thing. It's like, who would have thought Kucherov would have got himself suspended in the playoffs, yet he managed to? And that's sheer frustration in regards to, to what he was going through. Um, Vasilevsky was, was not fantastic. Bob was. was not fa- <clears throat> yeah, like, like, there are heaps of things there that that went... I mean, that's why you watch the sports, because you never know what's actually going to happen. And I just find it um, a little frustrating, I think, for me, where you play 82 games in the year, and fundamentally, all of the teams that had the advantage blew it. It's not the league's fault. It's not the playoff system's fault. Those, If all four of them got bumped, it's just the fact that they got bumped. It's you know going to be one of those anomaly years, like the year when Carolina won the Cup. That was an anomaly year because of the new rules that came in, which have now vanished. Boston-Columbus series, take note. Yeah, so Columbus did come out of the gate slow, almost like, the lightning did against them because they had to wait so long and Boston was, you know, in a seven game series with a very good Toronto team. And they, um, they still made it a close game and, um, but Boston pulled out the victory, but Columbus, uh, as of this podcast, they, that series has played two games. Columbus came back really, really good in game two outshot the Bruins by about 10 and, um, ended up pulling it off in what, was it double overtime? Yeah, early-ish double overtime. So that's 1-1 heading back to Columbus. Very very good job of, you know, getting that one road win when it, it's tough to 
to sit that long, and I, I think we said we thought it was a good idea that Tortorella did that contact. Full and that's as much <clears throat> that's as much as you can do in that situation as players and coaches. Like, there's nothing else you can do. You, <clears throat> you've got to try and fake, you know, intensity, and that's a that's a tough one to do. That's the I can I watched some of that game yesterday. That's brutal to watch. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do I do find it amusing that the the hardest series to watch have been the Bru- is the Bruins ones. Well, and Toronto that's even me get <clears throat> even playing against Toronto, who are a fun team to watch. I can't believe how much is let go in those in that series. It's like they get there and go, well, they're constantly interfering or they're constantly holding. We can't call everything, so we'll call nothing. And I think that's just as bad as um, the other argument that people make, which is you can't call everything because everyone will be in the penalty box. And it, it's it's such a stark contrast to watching, well, the Carolina Islanders series, which there were penalties called because they were there to be called and they called them. So, you know, what do you do? <laughs> um, you I NHL. Think, I think Columbus is a good, good matchup for Boston in the sense uh, they're a physical team. So the, the clutching and grabbing isn't going to bother them. That, like, they'll almost embrace it. Well, I'd have a choice. Because, <laughs> well, no, but like some teams... It, it, You're right. They will embrace it. You're exactly right. They, um, you know, Columbus plays a physical brand of hockey, and Tortorella, of course, uh, no stranger to uh, talking up the will to want it more and that, those kind of things, so... It, you're right. Perfect matchup for both teams. Like both, te- it fits both teams' mo playing each other in this. I um, I think Boston's probably a little better at getting away with the stuff they need to get away with. So, um, <laughs> yes, I think goaltending is pretty even. Uh, it'll be uh, interesting uh, it, for for Columbus to to get by. It'll look like it did in game two with um, Panarin just, I mean, making that goal on the angle he was at was amazing. Very awesome shot that that was good to watch. And that's why they didn't get rid of him. They went all in. Like, if there's a if there's a team that, that needed their stars to step up and do stuff, they have. And, I mean, you look at the guys that they've got on their roster, a lot of them might walk. <clears throat> now the other Eastern Conference series I actually have on in front of me right now is Carolina and the Islanders, and that uh, game one did not uh, have a lot of goals. No, and what did you find it a very exciting game until it got to the point where it you, you know next goal wins situation because. I didn't find it particularly enthralling to watch. No, you had two teams feeling each other out, not trying to make a not mistake, not trying to push it more so. And yeah, and Carolina, obviously, that makes a lot of sense coming from a overtime uh, 
situation game seven where the islanders much like the blue jackets kicked the crap out of their first round <laughs> opponent and we're sitting for a while so thought it was really good for carolina to get the win i uh, just want to throw a little shout out to jordan stahl who's playing great uh, huge goal in game seven to tie the game early in the third period and then to get the overtime winner in game one that's pretty pretty great considering you know Say what you will, he wanted to play with his brother, but hasn't played in the playoffs in a decade. No, uh, that, sorry. That did not go anywhere close to the way he probably wanted that career choice to go. But he's in the playoffs, he's playing well. Uh, he had concussions this year that kept him out a long time. Uh, but he's in the lineup and playing really well. And for me, selfishly, I it's great to see because he was a great penguin. A huge reason they were successful for uh, that stretch of time. I mean, to handle Crosby, Malkin, and Stahl all in their mid twenties. That I mean, that was a hell of a thing to deal with for any team. Yeah, not, not uh, very fair. And quite frankly, the only thing that you know got them was, the goal, yeah, was the goaltending. So, <laughs> especially 2012. Um, the Penguins might not have been disciplined in 2012. That was the last year Stahl was a Penguin. But they kicked the crap out of the Flyers. Expected goals, possession, uh, everything but goaltending. And even the Flyers' goaltending was awful that series, but not quite that bad. So, uh, it's, um, I'm just happy for him. Yep. It's, yeah, like, he's the, the second favorite player. So, you know, when he left, I was upset and stoked that he's he's playing well he's built for the playoffs if you think about it isn't he he's not a terrible skater he's not the quickest skater going around it's crazy he doesn't um, get selfie consideration yeah it's just because it's just the way it works he played behind Sid and Gino for ages and then when he went to Carolina like you said it didn't turn out the way he liked so what are you supposed to do there <laughs> yep um you got any thoughts about Islanders and Hurricanes? Um, not really. There's nothing particularly exciting about the series. I, I would like to see Carolina win. Um, like Both teams were filling each other out in game one. I've seen the highlight of Slavin scoring his own goalie. It's going to be that kind of series. It really feels like a New Jersey Devils mid-90s kind of series so that doesn't really excite me shit i guess i gotta stop watching i don't want <laughs> you know what i'm saying want any part of that without probably with less clutching and grabbing but just with less teams trying to win it and more teams trying to have the other team make them do you know what i mean yep. it's like they're playing for an error rather than playing to win and i hate that style in any sport i hate that well curtis mcelaney's in that because peter Mrazek. I think hurt his groin, so that's oh, that's a key um, change in there. And I think Trevor Ram- Van Riemsdyk's shoulder popped out. He got hit ten seconds into the game from Clutterbuck, so he's probably not returning anytime uh, soon. Yeah, so. I would suggest if that shoulder's out. I don't know so. if it was out. It didn't look good the way he was All holding right. it. So I'm gonna. I'm going to go with Carolina. Expect Even a goal. Even with Marazic. Yeah, well, I, 
they have been able to win shot share versus every team. True. All year for the most part, and expected goals is usually good. And I think they're finally starting to get a little bit more finishing power. Um, the, to beat Washington the way that they went about it, um, that's not easy to do. Washington was a legitimately good team. And, and they did beat them. Like Washington didn't mistake themselves out. No, and they were, Washington was rightfully up two goals the last time we recorded and Carolina mm. is is showing they have the, that ability to uh, scratch and claw back and when I look at Carolina's defense and I look at Pittsburgh's defense I see Carolina being better <laughs> equipped to handle the forecheck and, and getting the puck to the forwards so um, yeah they've got the tools to all the skill sets to, to break through their, their forecheck so It'll be interesting to see whether the Islanders um, have to or choose to change what they do if it becomes unsuccessful. It's second game of the series. They're up 1-0 against the backup, so who knows if they get forced to do that. But they def- Carolina definitely looked better coming out of the, the zone um, than the Penguins did against the Islanders. So good luck. Uh, they're trading trade chances rate or attempts 25 26 right now in favor of the Islanders. So um, Islanders aren't doing a bad job in game two. Um, well. So I, I have Carolina, and I'm picking them. I, yeah, they're up a game. So the timing of this is <laughs> we're handicapping this. Um, but they are down right now. So... Uh, yeah, you come away from anything with a split, you feel better. So, you know, at the moment, I feel like they're playing with house money. They should, theoretically, I think, be attacking a little more than than it appears that they are. But that could be Isles-driven more so than them. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, out West, uh, the Blues are facing the Stars, and they had a really uh, good, ge- good game, too. It's The series is tied uh, 1-1. Dallas pulling it off. Uh, no shortage of chances at the end for St. Louis. Uh, Dallas has some high-end offensive players. They could make a go of this, especially with Bishop. Well, that's the thing that they have to rely on. They're a little bit like Carolina. Oh, sorry, like Colorado. They're top-heavy. So if they get any production in a particular game from their, the lower half of their, their lineup... Um, they need to win those games because that may not happen the next. So took advantage of that. <clears throat> and um, St. Louis are hard. They're going to be a hard out. Yeah. And and the thing notable for St. Louis was Bennington didn't, um, didn't play bad, but he also didn't play out of this world. And they, and they got by a talented Jets team. Yeah. So it's... <clears throat> I say over in the West, it's interesting for me because I'm bullish on St. Louis to get through because of Colorado. This particular series, I'm not sure what to expect. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know who's going to come out of it because St. Louis were toast for most of the year, then turned it right on. And... Well, well, they made a coaching change, and from Thanksgiving on. 
uh, when they stopped playing Jake Allen, who I, is in like his 80th year with the Blues, despite sucking in <laughs> 79 of them, 79 and a half of them. Um, you know, all of a sudden they're they're good, and um, I um, I like the Blues for this one. They've been one of the best teams um, since the coaching change. I don't think it's a fluke. They they were consistently good during that stretch, um, but it is one one and Dallas, man, made some beautiful plays that pull up move their defenseman made and slid it through the guy's uh, defender's legs to the cutting guy that snuck behind. That was that was good. The, and you are right. Bishop is a goalie that can get locked in. And it's impossible to score on him. That, and you need somebody like a Tarasenko to be the game breaker there because of the quality of his shot to, to get around those sorts of things. Or pray for a lucky off the butt bounce. So, all the, all the series have got what ifs about them, except for, I feel like, the Colorado San Jose series. You reckon uh, that one's lopsided? A little bit, but then there were, that was the thing. With the Calgary series, it felt like Colorado had the had their measure the whole way through, really. This game one, and it's only one game, so you never know what might happen when they get a chance to, to change and have a look at each other and all that sort of stuff. But San Jose just looked, just looked better the whole way through. <laughs> and if Martin Jones... Uh, great, but if if Martin Jones gives them league average goaltending, I can't see how Colorado get through. <clears throat> and that's the thing, um, Martin Jones. You know, game six and seven did what was needed. Yeah, like game six uh, especially, like that should have been a Vegas win, and it wasn't because Flurry played bad. Like that went a long time, and Vegas or San Jose got a little bit fortunate that that shot got. Um, off the defender's stick and it fooled Flurry, um, but that win gets them to that coin flip game seven, and they were able to. Well, <laughs> I guess kick their ass that game too. If we're being yeah, honest. I mean that's <clears throat> that's the thing that 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 throws everything up and out, and, and that's where you you go Grubauer. I don't have a history of Grubauer dominating a, a series. So, well, there's a bad goal. Um, I don't have Grubauer. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that. Might have <laughs> yeah. been kicked in. Another own, own goal, Another maybe. One. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I, I haven't got a history of Grubauer doing what Bishop's done. So, you, if you're the Carolina fans, you've got to hope that he does that because I think the ice is going to be tilted severely. And if the Nate McKinnon wonder line can't... It's a kick. Can't produce Sorry. their magic. Yeah, no, no, it's another one. Yeah, that's why I stumbled with what I was saying. I saw him kick it in as well. Um, from from behind the goal line. <clears throat> oh, they be didn't call it. Anyway, that's interesting. Sorry. They they just waved it off. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I just I struggle with Colorado and their lack of depth, their reliance on one line against a team that has brilliant depth. I can't believe they 
that should be allowed in. The skill involved for Taves to <laughs> so put that in. That is... We could get disrupted by this. So what, what's happened is Devin Taves went wide, and the puck came back to him below the goal line. And he's a left-handed player on his off wing. He kicked it with his right skate behind his left leg. So um, a little bit of a sneaky kind of kick, but definitely a kicking motion. And it went off McElhaney's leg and in. So it just shows you the folly of the rule, doesn't it? So highly skilled to get it back towards the net, but uh, to the to the rule, I don't think there's any debate about it. That was a kicking motion, but and it might be one of the first times uh, that rule's been uh, taking a goal off from behind the goal line. Yeah, that's not usually how you think of a kicking motion getting into the net. <laughs> so, and and that wasn't a like yes, it's a bad goal to give up. Oh, that was what with do you like do if 10 you're... seconds left in the period. Huh. Yeah, but what do you do if you're McElhaney, though? Like uh, he should have had his pad flat on the ice, but what do you do there? Like that's an incredible play. So uh, that's just that's lucky for Carolina. Yeah. So. Um... I'm going to say a lot of things that, that you said about the Sharks. and The Sharks are one of the best teams in the league. And getting through Vegas, I mean, I can't get to a spot where if they can get through Vegas, they can't get through Colorado. You know? Yeah, I just can't see it either. I get what you mean. Nate McKinnon's amazing. Well, that line's amazing. Yeah. But, um... Just the the Sharks' defense, really good. Um, Sharks, yeah, the the whole roster. And although I haven't heard much on Pavelski. No, but this 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 no, I haven't either. But the roster's deep enough to handle a loss of someone like Pavelski. That's the difference. And, if if uh, that if that top line gets shut down, the second line hasn't shown anything to me to give me the encouragement that they can pick it up. So yeah. not scoring all the way down the lineup, their back end scores. It's just, they're amazing. The sharks. And they put a five spot up in game one. So, and I don't think Colorado played particularly poorly either, by the way, I don't think they were particularly bad. It just shows you that San Jose can go, <laughs> Now we'll see how Colorado rebounds. They'll, they'll play later this evening uh, in Game Two, so I don't I don't see a path back if they're down to nothing for the Avalanche. No, but then I would have said that about a couple of the other series that were teams were too down and they managed to wangle their way back as well. So I've given up predicting. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's round two. Unlikely round two, but here we are. Um, hopefully we get some interesting games. I don't think uh, Caroline and New York are going to give us that. But the other ones might. So Yeah, that's all you can hope for, is that they end up being fun games. All right. Shifting to the Penguins, who are not in the playoffs. Um Jim Rutherford, at it again. Talk about a guy that uses the media to save his own ass and shoots himself in the foot. Yeah, 
Um, he's transparently selfish in the sense that he does not want to accept any responsibility for the team he created. And now he's using the media to try and craft narratives that will shift the blame towards mostly the players and a little bit underhanded to his coach. So let me um, let me pull up some of this uh, wonderful stuff. So Josh Yowie of The Athletic had an article, and he actually got Rutherford on the record to say these things with his name attached to it. Uh, some of this stuff was in another publication without Rutherford's name attached to it. So um, it's nice to actually have an official um, quote, so to speak, I guess. So these, these quotes are theoretically, when you think about it, officially from the team, and these are their thoughts. So it's not a backroom guy and all that kind of stuff. This is from the head of the... Well, this is the general manager. So this is what they're thinking right now. That's the scary part about this now being on the record. So I'm annoyed at some of some of what he's saying. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody. <laughs> Um, asked if, if Genny Malkin is part of the team's long-term plans. I'm not at the point where I'm making any decisions on that at this point. I just can't answer that kind of question now. Josh Yoey, why? <laughs> there are lots of things to sort through right now. Uh, not really. Not too hard to sort through that one. Um, the easy answer there is he's going to be on this team. End of story. That's one of the easiest decisions of the offseason. Oh, Malkin trade talk again? Um, yeah, not going to happen. And period. Done. But he didn't do the that. Only t- <clears throat> the only time you need to make... The only time you need to sort of have this discussion is if it crops up in the media and you want to get there and go out to the media and say, stop it, he's staying. We've not even considered doing it. This has been driven from inside the franchise. Yeah, you get what is, I mean? This is the GM not giving a good answer to that and opening up... And fanning flames of rumors that we seemingly have to deal with every year for the second best center of the ge- generation. Yeah, it's nuts. With the first one <laughs> being on the same Being his teammate. <laughs> um, who, by the way, just uh, Sidney Crosby, Hart finalist, I think deserved. With Nikita Kucherov, who will probably win, and Connor McDavid. It's amazing that you know Connor what? McDavid's a finalist this year, but couldn't win it last year. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so I, I yeah. fucking hate the Hart Trophy voting from sports writers. The fucking most valuable, most valuable to his team. Is yeah, they like the to hide behind the ones that. that you know make the roster choices. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the problem, isn't it? That definition of the word. That that word and the definition, and then they like to lean on that. <laughs> Anyways, back to Evgeny Malkin. He's not going to be overshadowed right now. Um, so that gets said, and no sooner than that, in the same article, a source close to Mario Lemieux told the Athletic Thursday, Lemieux is adamant about wanting Malkin to finish his career with the Penguins. And that ownership has no interest in approaching Malkin about waiving his full no-trade clause. 
Lemieux is still troubled by trading Yager in 01 and doesn't want history to repeat itself with another franchise icon. So, in a roundabout way, or not really, Jim Rutherford, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yes, if the guy that's paying your checks is saying, I don't want him to leave, I would suggest you put a pin in it pretty quick. Like, how do you... They extended him. The, the guys paying his checks want to keep paying his checks for longer as well. So they're as responsible for this as Rutherford, you know? I think they're, they're a hands-off ownership group. And when you're winning cups, they're like, eh, whatever, do what you want. But the, the, the longer you get away from the two cups and, and now you have some turmoil with the roster and how things uh, played out this year, and now Rutherford, instead of being adamant Malkin is, is part of the future, now you got outlets like The Athletic getting sources, quote-unquote, close to Lemieux. Um, giving you a pretty specific feedback on, yeah, not happening. So maybe the GM's going to have to, like, you know, have some discipline here moving forward. Because, um, yeah, I just think it's very disrespectful to a player that is a huge reason the team's been who they are this generation how do you disrespect that guy? I just... He's always the one that cops it. Him, well, until Kessel turned up. Um, it was always Gino's fault. Everything was always Gino's fault. So, you know, it's his lot in life in Pittsburgh to be, to be the problem and therefore the traded solution. You know, no one's ever talked about trading Sid... You know, Malcolm's oh. the one that gets gets spoken about in trades all the time, and now you have the the Chris Letang little bubble as well. It's it's always um, it's baffling how it's always about the best players. Yeah, blame your best, on... not your worst. But in this case, <clears throat> yeah. the best being Sidney Crosby is literally the best. It, it it makes you look stupid to suggest that. So we'll find like the guys not literally the best best uh, who are still tops in their position but if you're if you're the general manager and and you you take our approach of don't blame your best players have a look at the players that aren't as good and see if you can improve those guys that's you actually admitting i kind of got it wrong this year and rutherford's shown nothing that would suggest that he thinks he's going about this the wrong way individual trades he'll come out and say oh that trade didn't work we've gone another direction that's as close to an admission as you're going to get from him. But this team has drifted away from what made them successful in 2016. And that was a good team. That was the team that deserved to win. The 2017 team, it had massive flaws and they got through on ridiculously good goaltending. So, yes, each part makes up a team, so you can't discount it. But this year's team, well, last year's team and then this year's team pushed even further away from the skill sets that showed that they were good, which was giving Rutherford credit for the way he built the team. And it feels as though he's pulling the team to what he thinks is right. And it feels like the team's getting worse. That's probably where I look at it from a, uh, an outside observer. Team has gotten worse. I don't think there's any other way... I don't know how could anybody he's not possibly gonna, have a different take. He, he, he's not going to introspectively go, well, I've made moves 
this team's gotten worse. I need to fix those moves. He'll look elsewhere first to say, oh, it's X's problem or X's fault before it's the decisions that I've made as general manager that have put us into this situation. And I think it's even more damning because you, you've got, you know, Mr. Ventura in there as well, probably throwing information at him. And it feels as though with the information he has in front of him, he goes, X, Y, and Z are the skill sets we want, not A, B, and C. So he goes to that skill set. And I think that skill set's the wrong skill set that he's looking for. I guess the other troubling part about this is, you know, who who do, who do these leaks benefit? Correct. Not, not Absolutely Malkin. no one. Nope. One of your better players you're going to throw under the bus? Um, it, it's just a way of shifting um, the focus. And who wants the focus shift? Well, the, the only person that benefits is Rutherford himself, and I'll, I'll give him credit here. He's gone and put his name to this now, so theoretically these aren't leaks. But that source thing from Lemieux, that's the interesting thing about it, in that that is a leak. That is definitely Lemieux going, I do not want this to happen. And that's in the public arena now. So... If they're a hands-off, if they're a hands-off ownership group, that's not going directly down to the office and knocking on the door. <laughs> that's letting everyone know that you don't want it to happen publicly. Yeah. Um, so, Carl Haglin got traded, and you know, in that, I'm not saying trading a player like Carl Haglin is ruins a team. He wasn't producing offensively at all. Um, he wasn't producing for pretty much the the last two years that he was a Penguin uh, after the HBK um, explosion of <laughs> offense that was amazing to watch unfold. And process, 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 dude. But he traded Haglin without direction and. Here, it was a, certainly a tough season for me personally. I could see the issues fairly early on, and I think it was pretty obvious when I move a guy like Haglin that I know everybody really likes and who has had so much success. It was pretty obvious what my mindset was. After what I saw the first few weeks of the season, I knew I had to do something pretty major to get their attention. Um, you don't need to be making trades to get attention to a locker room full of two-time cup winners. You need to make trades to make the team better. That would get their attention. Hey, we got another good player. Let's do this. Instead, yeah. you got slower with Pearson, and you turned Pearson into an even slower good Branson, signed for longer and for more money. It's so, a little terrifying. Um, trading a player like Haglin is not the problem in a nutshell. It's the whole doing it just to get their attention. Like, hey, I'm going to trade one of your good buddies. Not because I think it's going to make the team better, but I'm going to get your fucking attention. Like, how... It's so... It's so stupid. Yep. yep. He's, he's such a fucking idiot. Yep. And, and, and then, and then you do get the fallout of the things that sometimes we don't talk about because we're not in the room but a really well-liked guy. So now the team sees that they're slower. You traded a good friend. 
they didn't see anything positive happen from the trade, of course they're going to be pissed off. You've shown no direction. You you act like these players can't see what's happening to the team, like they're stupid. You don't think like Malkin gets a little bit frustrated seeing Crosby up for another Hart Trophy, but also, hey, 98% of his minutes are with Latang and 98% of mine are with fucking Jack Johnson. <laughs> and he's getting roasted for having a minus 29 and he does take this year he did take a lot of frustration penalties like there's cause and effect here and then i get raked through the mud and it's gonna piss it's gonna piss players off so you you know your whole little locker room problem uh you kind of created it because you traded for the sake of why i uh, get their attention yeah good one you got it all right. Not the way you wanted, but. Players are different now. Like different, different generation, different expectations. You have to treat them differently. You can't treat them like you did in the 70s and the 80s. Even the 90s, I suppose. Like, players expect to be treated differently. And I think rightfully so. They're not cattle. They're humans. They are allowed to feel. And you got to take that into account. You know, you can analyze their on-ice play and see who's good and who's bad. You've got to work out what's driving the good and the bad and react to it. And this general manager's reaction to why they weren't playing as well as they wanted is what terrifies me the most about the tail end, like the next five years, like the tail end of Crosby and Malkin still being able to take over games, maybe not as frequently as they used to, um, but them being the drivers of the team, along with Latang, like there's five years left at most, I think, of that. And and you've said this numerous times on the podcast, you can't go fucking up what's going on around them because you need what goes on around them to be that little bit better each year because they can't carry all the load as much every year. And, yeah, this is not a good way to go about it. <laughs> so... Um, we continue on the, with the Rutherford greatest hits from the Yoey article. Personally, Rutherford oh God, there's, said... there's more? Yep. I believe this was the best coaching job Mike Sullivan has done since he's been with the Penguins. Um, interruption. False. The <laughs> dynamic game. of the team this season was difficult with for him to deal with. This team never came together. It just never did. I don't want to get into all the details, but Mike had to deal with a lot of different circumstances this year. He had to keep oh, things un- under control. It's impressive he still pulled out a 100-point season. Reading fuck and, you. and this is Yoey. Reading between the lines, it sounds like there's plenty of drama behind closed doors. Back to Rutherford. I don't want to get into that stuff. Whatever way you want to phrase it, I wouldn't get into that stuff, what was going on. Then shut the fuck up. Like, now you're just, like, leading people to guess what the problems are? If you just shut the fuck up, nobody thinks anything of it. Yeah. No, it's it's literally everything is being pushed to and, somebody and else's fault. So now this is pushed towards Sullivan either needing to fix this locker room issue or it's back on the players being... You, <laughs> you put these players together. It, it honestly feels like he's trying to create the situation where if he does make a what you and I would consider a stupid trade, 
he gets to he gets to say, well, they were chemistry in the locker bullshit. Room. Yeah, that that's that's feels like there's a very good chance nothing happens in regards to the players we're talking about, and it all stays, and theoretically everything's fine. But if something comes up where he wants to try and move somebody, that's how he gets away with it. Oh, they're a locker, they're a locker room. That's what you whistled for because it came right. He scored. Jesus Christ. That was a great goal. Snow goal. Um, yeah, so back to the Rutherford garbage. He is literally setting himself up to be able to say, we moved him for chemistry reasons. And I just think that's a load of garbage. I mean, it's quite clever on his behalf. When you think about what he's doing, he's setting himself up to give himself flexibility to do something that he knows will be controversial, um, but feels like he'll then be able to justify it later on. And I'm here to write articles that I don't see others writing and saying, don't fall for it. This is transparent of a GM, selfish one, that just wants to come out looking the best, even though his choices are the driving force for whatever problems or issues the team has right now. Because he just can't shut up sometimes. But, you know... Oh, good old Jr. He, uh, he speaks He's a good his mind. He's, uh, you know, folksy and yeah. Well, you're getting all of it now, and you don't get the the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, result at the end to to kind of cover that up. And this has been going on for a couple decades. Um, you know, when I write these, I get Hurricane fans saying, "This looks really familiar. Good luck." And, um, you know, he's the same guy he was then. He just got gifted a team with a lot of players he didn't have to acquire. That's the that's the th- I, with Phil being his this. prime acquisition, and that was um, really awesome trade. Um, so I don't want to come off like he doesn't make any good moves because that's not true. The Kessel trade was amazing, but when you only have to do one of them. And you already have Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Murray, Gensel, and, and, and some of the other Wilkes, Barry, Scranton guys that were already in place that got called up, including the coach, because he was a baby penguin that Botterill hired. I suppose that's that's the thing. Like the little bits and pieces he needed to do around the edges shouldn't be that difficult to do. Like Rutherford's because... only coaching hire was Johnston. Yeah. He didn't hire Sullivan. They just promoted Sullivan, who was hired previously. But on top of that, he didn't have to fill the farm to get all the results of the farm either. They they weren't his... No, and the farm was dead. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and... It's like that farm on The Walking Dead. Gone. (laughs) Gone. That that kind of makes sense to me that the farm's dead. Now, you're in a situation where no, you are going to start... And, and somewhat, the, yes, absolutely. They should yeah, be, yeah, but not to, not but it's to bare. this... It's yeah, bare. it is very... But they've got nothing to come up and help. They've got no next man up if a fourth, if a third or a fourth liner goes down. It used to be like, like at, Brian Russ comes up, Connor Sherry comes up, uh, that kind of stuff. Now, now it's yeah. Teddy Bluger, Adam Johnson. Like, it's not close. Yeah, the not the same quality of of call up, and that pays a price. So he had the easiest job in the league. 
I think so. Name it. Name it's... an easier gig to jump into. I try try it. Uh, is there one? Well, I was going to say Washington, but that was a tough one when McClellan took that over because they were jumpy as a they were skittish as an organization. So, yeah, I think this one's definitely the most people the take over of... a team chasing. One Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. Yeah. Let alone having all of them. Like, you're chasing all of those parts. That's why the previous guy's out of a job. Yep. Yep. So, So, I just... I wish they'd had the... And I know we've harked on this before, and Botterill's had his issues in Buffalo, but I wish they'd kept him around i wish they'd had the, the courage and the them, balls to them together stick with the youth. got the best out of each other had to do yeah so it's not the super lame bottero made all the moves rutherford made all the bad that that's, that's that not, doesn't work that is, not, <laughs> that is not the official take that the hockey hurts podcast has when it was having somebody else in the room that had a little bit of clout to talk somebody out of choices left. And now you see um, a guy that's doing whatever he wants and it's, it hasn't been good. It's been objectively bad. It's and crazy. next off season should is. be um, pretty interesting. Um, how much, uh, how much time's left for you here? Um, Probably a good time to say we'll see you next week. Okay. All right. Um, so I, yeah, we won't open up. Uh, so I did a Phil Kessel trade today. Oh, I got to start reading stuff again. Um, running, running out of time. I did the Nashville one where Suvan comes to Pittsburgh and um, Schultz and Kessel go to Nashville. Um, how did you get the back end? How did you get the money to work? For who? Well, weren't you having to get rid of Hornquist as well when we discussed this last week? Well, no, Schultz and. Um, well, that is the cap. Yeah, you're right. That's the cap space. Yeah. Schultz and um, Kessel are more than enough to. They actually save three point three million. So they can go and spend it on if another. If they take a draft pick as the second part of the trade, now you could start talking about. The Michael Granlins, who I think would be a pretty um, versatile player to try and maybe target as well, but that complicates the trade, makes it a larger trade. And, you know, I don't know the feelings that Poyle and Rutherford have about certain assets, so it makes it difficult to. It yeah. turns into like a message board trade, and, um, <laughs> you know. But I do think there's. While. Subban straight up for those two. It might favor Nashville slightly. I think there is value in, in, in getting a guy like Subban that can drive a pairing because the only person that can drive a pairing right now is Latang. Dumoulin can't, despite the being thing... an okay player. And certainly Mata and Schultz and, or anybody else can't. The thing that I find... I would be worried about with Subban is Latang gets absolutely torn to shreds in the local media for yeah, but they're wrong, so who cares? I no no I get that, but you bring in 
Subban, who I feel is the exact same player as Latang. Yeah, great. That's to... the point. <laughs> I get it. That's the I... fucking point. They're both. Great. You, you know, I'm on board with this. It's I know the whole. It's the whole. He makes the same turnovers. He makes the same errors. He takes the same sorts of decisions. You're going to have two Perfect. of those guys on two different lines. I like it. You know, I like it. I can just see what the media would do you know where i'm headed with this right yes, you can see you can see what's going to happen there but you just hope that the turnaround the other way well you know the turnaround the other way is going to completely outweigh those errors but that's not the way it's going to be pitched is it nope but it also tells me why he'd be a, if you're gonna have to move castle and you need a win-now piece, and you're trying to find another franchise that wants a yeah. win-now piece but is going to give up a win-now piece. Not too many options out there. This was one of the few, I and, and with Subban's name popping up, the reason it works is because Schultz can take Subban's spot. So their D is still pretty good. Phil gives them that extra dynamic up front, but the benefit of the trade is Schultz is a UFA. So they don't have to re-sign him and they can still take another one-year run at the Cup uh, because Ryan Ellis is jumping up to $6.25 million and Roman Yossi's $4 million is up after next year. Yeah. So having yeah. a $9 million defenseman, it starts to get a little bit tougher to where they... It was very cost-effective for years and a wonderful grouping of players for Nashville's back end. But for them to move forward and get some scoring, I think this might be one of the paths that they could transition a little bit. It would, the other thing is that their power play is disgracefully bad, and I think it's because a lot of their offense is driven from their their defensive core. Now, you're going to take some of that offense out. Yeah, you get Shilton, but he's not going to end up on that power play, right? And you put in someone like Kessel onto that power play. Kessel is helps. a huge part of the Penguins' power play, and that's saying a lot with who the personnel is there, but him being able to control the left half wall um, and when they actually work the, the puck around appropriately and take the right shots, it's really tough to stop. Yeah, and, and would add to that. And, you know, it's something that all year, that's what you heard out of, out of Nashville, was they need something to happen with their power play, and he would severely improve that in a, in a really, really good way. So... Um, and I think that's the issue you've got when you've got a team that has so many good defensemen, you can't utilize all their skills on the power play. And when you're a little short of creativity in the offensive, like in the forward section of your roster, power plays get exposed, and Kessel would, would obviously uh, help solve that problem for them. So I just want to say I'm... I'm totally fine with Phil staying on the team. I think he's part of the solution. But with his name and rumors all the time, I thought I'd try and uh, figure out if he's going to get moved, where could it, he go that he wouldn't say no to? I think he'd be fine with Nashville. And what could make sense for Pittsburgh? And um, I know you got to go, so I'll end it there. You can read the article. Um, there's some more detail there. So, All right. See you next week, guys. All right. See ya.